Romans 5, verses 3 through 5. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confidence and hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Before Christmas, we were looking at the prophet Elijah. We focused on the confrontation that he had with uh, King Ahab and all the prophets of Baal up on that mountain. We know that God reminded the people who really God was. Because you see, they were all walking on that fence. They wanted to be partly Baal worshipers and partly God worshipers. And Elijah asked them, how long will you walk this fence? If God is God, worship God. If Baal is God, then worship him. Well, the people didn't answer him. They were silent. And we said, that's the kind of thing that we still see nowadays in our own world. Who is God? What are you worshiping? You can't straddle a fence. The prophets of Baal, they spent all day long preparing their their lovely little altar and the cutting up of the the oxen to put on it. And they spent the rest of the time dancing around and shouting and yelling. But Baal didn't answer. And Elijah got tickled kind of, sort of, and he started making fun of him. Yell louder, yell louder. Maybe he just doesn't hear you. Maybe he's asleep. I know, maybe he's out traveling the world. They started cutting themselves and bleeding all over the place. This went on all day long. And when it came time for Elijah to do his thing, he spent nowhere near the amount of time preparing the altar and cutting up the sacrifice. He even dug a little trench around it. And he told the people, fill up all these pails of water and just drench this thing. Oh, that's not enough. Do it again. Oh, one more time. And they did. See, Elijah expected more out of God than he did out of the the Baal worshipers and and Baal. Because see, Elijah knew who God really was. His prayer that he made was short and sweet to the point. And he told the people, you're about to see who God really is and who his servant is. The result that followed was absolutely breathtaking. 1 Kings 18, verses 38 and 39. Then the the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Elijah then told the people, get up and capture all these guys. Don't let them get away. And they did, and he killed them. The next thing we see is, you know, Elijah goes up on the hill and he, He prays to bring the rain back. And after seven times of his servant coming back and forth, a little cloud the size of a man's hand was rising out of the sea. And he said, go tell Ahab it's time to leave to go back to Jezreel. Ahab got in his chariot and took off. And after he was gone, God said, Elijah, get there before he does. So he girded up his robe and he ran and he caught up to him and he, he... And he got to Jezreel first. That was a 13-mile cross-country run. 
one that most people would be proud of if it was them. We don't know why Elijah had to get there first. Maybe he was supposed to tell Jezebel what happened. We don't know. What we do know is he believed and trusted in God. And he did what God told him without question. And I called him a prayer warrior. Because he was a huge prayer warrior. I also said that we are not that much different than Elijah when you really think about it. And this week, that's what we're going to look at. Is how Elijah is really a lot like we are. And experiences the things we are. And we do. And we're also going to meet his protege, Elisha. Let's pick up 1 Kings 19, verses 1 through 3. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And he was afraid and he rose and he ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah. And he left his servant there. You see, the report came as a great shock to this champion of Baal and Asherah. It was so much so that this woman convinced her husband to support them through the, the national treasury. They were not just financially supported, but they worshipped them. And they had everybody kind of, I would say, hoodwinked. When Jezebel heard about what all that Elijah had done and accomplished on Mount Carmel, she did something that Elijah was not expecting. He really thought for sure that she would go, oh my, look, Baal didn't answer. Maybe I was wrong and he's not really the God. Maybe your God is really God. But that's not what she did. She became upset. She became angry and sent a messenger. If you're not dead in the next 24 hours, consider yourself lucky because you will be. And it's scary. He was afraid. We don't know for certain if this was God protecting him and making him run out of fear. Whether it be standing right here in Jezreel, or wherever he's going to go. We don't know. But what we do know is we got that God wanted to protect him from Jezebel. So he goes. And he goes about 80 miles south to Resheba. And he's not going to stop there. He's dumping off his servant. I guess if you don't have another guy to have to worry about, you can travel a little quicker and further. We know who God is, and we accept Christ as our Savior. And this is kind of where we're like Elijah. We accept that. We accept God. We accept Christ. We pray, and we see some answers to those prayers. And some of those answers are huge miracles. Yet when there's a little bit of trouble that pops up, what is it that we do? Some of us kind of shrink and worry. Oh, well, well, what if people call me a Christian? What if my friends hate me? What if they don't like me anymore? We think silly things like this instead of trusting in God. 
James 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you can encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Why Elijah became afraid after the power of God displayed is beyond my comprehension. I don't get it. If Jezebel had wanted him dead, she should have just captured him right then and there and killed him. I kind of like how Charles Spurgeon put it, and it was this way. Elijah failed at the very point at which he was strongest, and that is where most men fail. In Scripture, it is the wisest man who proves himself to be the greatest fool. Just as the meekest man, Moses, spoke hasty and bitter words. Abraham failed in his faith, and Job in his patience. So who was the most courageous of all men? Fled from an angry woman. But you see, I've been around angry women in my time. It's not pleasant. It can be very fearful. So I might have run too if I was him. It's not unknown. It's not uncommon. God had a plan. And we don't know if that plan was for him to run the way he did. But you know, there's a lot of times that I relate this to my own life and how there's a lot of times I look at this and I go, wow, Kurt, what are you going to do? This problem's arisen. What are you going to do? And I start to rely on myself and I start to work things out in my way. Is my way the right way? Oh, heavens to Betsy now. I get myself in major troubles when I do that. I want them to work out the way I want them to instead of the way God wants them to work out, the way he has it planned. I have to constantly remind myself when I begin to think, oh God, what can I do to help you help me? Isn't that silly? I'm not relying on him. I want it done now. I want it my way and I want it no other way. Now, I personally would have thought, when I think these thoughts, and I do, I catch myself really quite often, and I go, I'm not God. Thank goodness. And I need to wait for his will and for his timing because his way is perfect. Mine just digs me, gives me a shovel and digs myself a hole to get in. And I might have had the same thought as Elijah when he decided to run away from that angry woman. Because he was probably thinking to himself, after seeing God's awesome power on that mountain, this should have changed their hearts. Ahab and Jezebel, they should have went, oh my gosh, we're serving the wrong God. It should have changed their hearts to serve the right God. But it didn't. It should have changed the hearts of the people forever to know who God was and serve the real God. But it only lasts for a short time. He knew God's power. And when he examined the apparent failure of his work, oh, 
God, how can I help you help me? He's thinking these things, I'm quite sure. He instinctively set the blame on his own unworthiness. Which makes it even better. 1 Kings 19.4 But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. And said, it is, not, it is enough now, O Lord, take my life for I am not better than my father's. He left his his servant, Bersheba, and he traveled further down the road. I have to imagine from reading this verse that he was extremely discouraged. He was extremely disappointed in himself. This mighty man of power This mighty man who trusted and relied on God prayed for no rain and it did not rain for three and a half years. He has a confrontation and he prays for the rain to come back and it does. And here's the man praying to God, take my life. I'm a failure. It's a good thing God didn't listen to that prayer. Because you know, sometimes God's answer of no is really an answer of prayer. It is quite possible that Elijah meant, I can't do this anymore, Lord. I just can't do this anymore. The work was stressful. The work is exhausting and seemed to accomplish nothing. That's a sad state of affairs. The great work on Mount Carmel did not result in a lasting national revival for the people to return to the Lord. Perhaps Elijah had especially hoped that the events on Mark Carmel would have turned Elijah or Jezebel and Ahab around. And it didn't. Also, God is in trouble. His life is in, in threat and jeopardy. Elijah forgot that the people reject God despite the evidence, not because of the evidence. Psalm 27, verses 13 and 14. I would have despaired unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. But he didn't. We're just like Elijah. Trouble popped up, and he ran. Now, we may not get up from our seats when uh, trouble comes and run halfway across the country or to another country to escape whatever's there, but we still have a tendency to withdraw in some form or manner. We don't stand up firm and solid and wait on God. 1 Kings 19, verses 5 through 8. Now he lay down and slept under a juniper tree. And behold, there was an angel touching him. And he said, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank, and he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in strength of that food, 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. 
This was a mercy of God extended to Elijah. He knew he was discouraged. He knew he was weak, not just physically speaking, because he needed that rest and replenishment, but God gave him shade to rest under, to be able to send the angel to give him what was needed. God administered to his physical needs first. This is not always his order, though, is it? A person can do uh, uh, the most spiritual thing a person can do is get enough rest and food. When you're up to snuff, when you're feeling confident and everything's going on in life, you're able to draw closer to God. Elijah received this rest and replenishment repeatedly from the Lord. One quick nap and one quick meal wasn't enough though. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. God sent Elijah on a 200-mile, 40-day trip to Mount Horeb, also known as Mount Sinai, that mountain of God. You know, that same place that Moses took the, he the Hebrews to when they left Egypt. This shows that God did not demand an immediate recovery. He didn't step him up and slap him around and say, snap out of it. He gave him rest, gave him food, and said, you need some extra time to recover. Set on the journey to my mountain. 1 Kings 19, verses 9 and 10. Then he came there to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left. And they seek my life to take it away. While he was in the cave, God asked him a question. What are you doing here, Elijah? God knew the answer to this question, but it was a, but it was a uh, good for Elijah to speak for his reasons why he's there. He needs to unburden his heart. Is it any different with us when we feel burdened and we have a friend or someone that we know really well come up and say, are you okay? Are you feeling all right? What do we usually say? Oh yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine, don't worry about it. But they know better. And if they're persistent enough, they'll get it out of you. And when you're able to unburden yourself, don't you feel so much lighter and better? This is what God's doing with them. Remember what I said two weeks ago about those hundred prophets that were hidden in the cave? Can a person really serve God if they are in fear of their lives and in hiding? Remember what Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16 said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. He once again claimed that I'm the only prophet left. We know this was not really accurate but it reflected how Elijah felt. 
Discouraging times makes God's servants feel more isolated and alone than they really are. Can you relate? Elijah protested to God, I have faithfully served you, and now look at the danger I'm in. To Elijah and many servants of God since, it seemed unfair and unfaith that a faithful servant of God should be made to suffer. God, I'm doing everything I can for you. I'm doing everything that you say. And why? Why are you letting me get beat up like this? He was really feeling sorry for himself because Jezebel wanted to kill him. Strangely, the reasons that Elijah provided were actually the important reasons for him to uh, remain alive. If you're the last prophet, Elijah, wouldn't you want to stay alive to spread God's word? If this crazy woman wants you dead because she still refuses to see who God really is, don't you want to stay alive to do what you can to see that she fails? I would think so. But in his state of mind, he demonstrates the powerful, unreasonable nature of unbelief and fear. 1 Kings 19, verses 11 and 12. So he said, go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by. And a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. Elijah, get out of the cave. It's kind of reminiscent of Moses. When Moses wanted to see the glory of God and God put him in that cleft of the rock and then shielded him with his hand so that he couldn't see the full glory. God knew what the depressed and discouraged Elijah needed. You need to know I'm here. He needed a personal encounter with God. And there was nothing really wrong with Elijah's fundamental belief, his faith. Nothing wrong with it whatsoever. He was just lacking something in his experience. He needed God to show him, other than the fire that came down on Mount Carmel. God brought his presence before Elijah, but first to show where he was not. Think about all the times that we've experienced and thought about God that we've read about in the book. When do you see God? When do you hear him? Let's see, the first time they experienced him on the mountain, his voice was the sound of trumpet and lightning and thunder, and everybody was afraid. We don't want to hear God anymore. Let him talk through you. Anytime anything happens and they're trying to defend themselves and God steps in, what does God do? Here's an earthquake. Here's hailstones. Here's all this other terrible things. God has to show him, there's more to me than this. It's more important for us in this day and age it's less important how God speaks to us than what we do with what we've heard. 
That's the important bit. And what is it? How do we hear God and know about God? Through His Word. That's where we get most of our stuff from. The more we learn it, the more ready we are to recognize His voice when He speaks. For Elijah to hear God's voice, His soft, quiet voice, it had to be so soothing compared to what God had just showed him. Here's the mega wind. Here's the rocks busting up. The earthquake, the fire. And then just to hear I'm not in any of those things. Elijah perhaps thought that the dramatic display of power at Mark Carmel would turn the nation around, or perhaps he thought that the radical display of God's judgment against the, the prophets and the priests of Baal following that vindication on Mount Carmel would change the hearts of the nation. Neither of these worked. None of it worked. This example is important for us today, especially for pastors. Think about the Baptist pastors of the past. If you don't do what you need to do, you're going to burn in hell. The Lord says this. The Lord says that. Did you enjoy that? I know I never did. I felt like I was never good enough. But there's been a change over the years with most pastors. Do they preach the fire and brimstone anymore, really? No. They use the soft, quiet voice to teach you what God's like. That's what draws people. That's what draws people in. Nobody wants to be thundered at and, and say that if you don't repent and if you don't quit sinning, you're going to burn in hell. People want, even it's true, but most people want to hear what God's love is and what God expects of them. Instead, that still small voice of God speaking to the human heart is actually more powerful than the fierce wrath of God's judgment. I want to be around that God who's loving and soft and speaks quietly. There's enough shouting and screaming and terrible things. 1 Kings 19, verses 13 through 15. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant and torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. The Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazael king over Aram. Immediately when he went out back outside, he sensed God's presence in that still small voice in a way that he was not in the previous more dramatic phenomenon that he had experienced. Because he sensed the special presence of God, Elijah immediately humbled himself. He wrapped himself in his mantle so that he could not see. How many of us have been in this position? We're experiencing things that are just horrible. And we're praying to God and we hear God's soft, still voice. 
And it humbles us. It humbles us to the point where you don't want to look. When I know that, when I know and feel that God is really near, it is quite humbling for me at least. And his presence brings tears to my eyes. I feel so good that God is there. Just knowing God cares that much about me and my well-being. Isaiah 46, 4. Even to your old age, I will be the same. And even to your graying years, I will bear you. I have done it. And I will carry you. And I will bear you. And I will deliver you. God's never far. He asked Elijah that same question and received the same response. But there was something helpful for Elijah in this question and answer process. I believe that helpful thing was the understanding that we are never alone. Ever. God is always with us. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor the things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God gave Elijah something to do. Now, isn't this how he always has operated in the past? When his prophets or his godly men become discouraged, what does he do? He does not stick them up and hold them up with his hand and slap them around and say, "Get come out of it. He gives them something to do to refocus from the things that is inward, looking inside your own heart and starting to wallow in self-pity, to spiral down in depression. Doesn't God give you something else to do too? Doesn't he uh, divert your attention to something or someone? What he wants you to do? He did that with Moses. But more recently, he did it with Samuel. When Samuel was so disgusted with Saul for doing what he did. And Samuel was wallowing, going, what am I going to do now? And God said, go anoint David. No different than here. He gives us task as well so that a person can't keep spiraling down. But can you hear his voice? Are you listening for his voice? 1 Kings 19, verses 16 through 18. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi. You shall anoint king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall come about, the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu, shall put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. God had more work for Elijah to do. He would also demonstrate God's choice of Jehu to be the king to succeed over the corrupt Ahab and his wife Jezebel. God gave something else the discouraged and depressed prophet uh, needed beyond the work to do. He also gave him a friend and a successor. 
I got somebody that will help you. He's going to replace you. That would tell me his time's drawing near. Elijah needed a friend. The core of his complaint before God was he's all alone. I'm the only one left. God let him know that there was a man ready to learn from the great prophet and to be his disciple and companion. But you know, he also needed hope. And since Elisha would be raised up as a successor to Elijah's prophetic office, Elijah then knew that his work would continue. Isn't that the problem we have with trying to die nowadays? Well, if I die, I can't die yet, God. Who's going to replace me? I'm indispensable. You laugh. A lot of people think that. Elijah was given another encouraging uh, little tidbit of information. A promise. Those that did wrong would not escape justice. With this promise, he knew the, that ultimately justice would be done. And God would not allow that institutionalized prosecution and persecution of idolatry to go unpunished. God also told him that he was not alone. There were 7,000 people that not once, not once bowed the knee and worshipped an idol. That's got to make him feel pretty good. This was a final encouragement to Elijah. This both assured him that he was not alone and that his work as a prophet had indeed been fruitful. He'd been around a little while. It showed that Elijah's quiet ministry over the years actually bore fruit. We talked about that this morning in Sunday school. You don't normally get to see the fruit that you planted the seed for. You don't get to see the end result. Sometimes you do, but more times than not, you don't. God told him there's 7,000 people that have not bowed or worshiped an idol. 1 Kings 19, 19 through 21. <coughs> Excuse me. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, while he was plowing with 12 pairs of oxen before him, and he with the 12th. And Elijah passed over to him and threw his mantle on him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah, and, and he said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So he returned from following him, and he took the pair of oxen, and he sacrificed them, and boiled their flesh with the implements of the oxen. And he gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and ministered to him. Elijah, or Elisha, he wants to go back and say goodbye to his family and his friends before he goes. Wow. We heard this one before, haven't we? A lot later on in life, in the Bible. We heard this before. Elijah's reply indicates that he himself had not called Elisha. God did. Remember what Jesus, now this is what I'm saying, later on in life, Jesus, he told the two men who asked to delay following him in Luke 9, verses 59 through 62. Also it came about in that day that the prophet... I'm going to pull it out because I didn't transfer it over. Shame on me. That's all right. I can still read. Last time I checked. If I can find it, here we go, eight, nine. 
next page. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord. But first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and over and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You see, here we are. It was up to Elisha whether he would follow the call. It was on his own decision. He decided to hesitate to say goodbye. And he took the yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. Remember, he had there was 12 pair of them. And he was controlling the last two. His family was wealthy. Either he was, I'm not sure which. But he says, look, I want to be able to say goodbye to my friends and my family and have a last meal with them. And he slaughtered the oxen. He destroyed the tools that they pulled. Use it for the fire. That's a substantial cost in those days. You just don't willy-nilly go around and killing your, your farm animals that do the major work. I can relate to what Elijah was going through in that depressed and discouraged state. I can relate to it. See, Elijah, he went. He caught back up with him and did what he wanted, what he needed. As a pastor, it can sometimes seem like there's no headway being made. There's the more you reach out, the more you try and do the things that's necessary to bring people in, and it doesn't happen. It can get discouraging. It can become tiresome. God, am I actually making a difference? You got to listen. You got to listen close. Because, you know, I reach out into the community, I reach out to others, and I see what is happening. It may not show up as butts in the seats. But it's a difference being made. Amy worries about me. She can see the toil of being a bivocational pastor takes. And she worries about me. And I keep assuring her that God gives me the strength to press on. Just like it says in Philippians 4.13. You know, I missed something somewhere. There we go. We're caught up again. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. You're no different. When we think that we're not making a difference in the world, that the seeds that we're planting are not going the way that we would like, we're tired, we're weary, we're discouraged. See, I'm not depressed. I can't, I can't relate to that one just yet because I'm not depressed. But I do get discouraged at times, just like every one of you do at times. 
as long as we don't grow weary, that fruit will come through. And that's the important bit. That's the important bit. Let's go to prayer.